0: recovery elevator episode 400
1: having like having those examples that i talked about like i needed to see people living a life that i could live um and something that i actually looked forward to because i just didn't have the template for it all i knew was drinking to deal with my problems and all my heroes were people who drank uh like this yeah that
0: should work mix down (laughs) yeah keep going yo yo Mix down.
1: Three, four.
0: Yo yo. Wiki wiki. Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki wiki. Mix down. Ty's in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki wiki. Wiki wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. On today's show, we have Nick. He's from Vancouver and took his last drink on December seventh, twenty eighteen. Nice job, Nick. I want to give a quick shout out to our chat host over in Cafe RE. This coming week, we have 19 chats scheduled, ranging from meditation, men's meetings, women's meetings, happier hour, and even yoga. You guys are crushing it. Thank you for your service. Be sure to check out the RE website. We've got some exciting events coming up like Costa Rica in April. Registration is now open for that trip, and you can find more information at www.recoveryelevator.com. Before we get into it, let's hear from our sponsor, Soberlink.
2: We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. Our friends at Soberlink want to help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used and sends results directly to your specified contacts so there is no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why SoberLink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let SoberLink help. Learn more about SoberLink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery elevator. That's www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery elevator.
0: All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris with Recovery Elevator. And since it's our big 400th episode, I'm going to tell you how to not drink and go to meetings. I'm going to tell you how you can eliminate cravings by making wooden bowls. I'm here to talk about the three chords that'll change your world. I'm Chris, and I'm going to flip your perspective with a three minute meditation. Today, we're going to talk about how nature walks will eliminate your trauma, how the 12 steps and nothing else will get you sober. I'm Chris with Recovery Elevator. And today I want to talk to you about putting pretty stones on your chakras. I'm here to tell you how these supplements will fix your mood. Chris with RE here, and I'm going to tell you the secret link between handstands and sobriety. I'm Chris, and sometimes I feel like I'm going 100 miles an hour down a dead-end road. Who am I in recovery? What do I have to offer? What am I doing here? In a recovery world full of wonderful and talented people, do I bring anything to the table? There are times when I feel like I'm butting up against a wall. No matter how much I do, life is still happening work, my family, deadlines, activities. It can feel like a weight bearing down on my shoulders while I'm gasping for breath. I want all these people to be pleased with me and I'm dying to the expectations that I'm placing on myself. Each week, there's another book coming out about how to do recovery. There are podcasts with stories and interviews that I'm told I must listen to. I'm supposed to adapt to this new idea or challenge or habit or perspective or technique if I wanna survive. As the world is inundating us with information at breakneck speeds, I find myself standing in the dust, wondering where everyone has gone. The desire to keep up with others is there, but with what time and what energy? What is the cost of subscribing to every idea that I hear, and how do I find balance between that and the rest of my life? These crossroads show up often, and if nothing else, they provide me with options. I can chase that comparison that my mind dangles in front of me like a carrot i can change my entire life start a new routine and embark on phase one day one of a new adventure depending on my current situation maybe that's what i need another option exists when i want to change everything because i see something shiny i can sit with it years ago odette shared this excerpt from when things fall apart by pema Chodron. Refraining is the quality of not grabbing for entertainment the minute we feel the slight edge of boredom coming in. It's the practice of not immediately filling up the space just because there's a gap. An interesting practice that combines mindfulness and refraining is just to notice your physical movements when you feel uncomfortable. When we feel like we're losing ground, we make all kinds of jumpy, jittery movements. You might notice that when you feel uncomfortable, you do things like pull your ear. Scratch something, even though it doesn't itch, or straighten your collar. When you notice what you do, don't try to change it. Don't criticize yourself for doing whatever it is you're doing. Just notice what is. Refraining, not habitually acting out impulsively, has something to do with giving up the entertainment mentality. Through refraining, we see that there's something between the arising of the craving, or the aggression, or the loneliness, or whatever might be, and whatever action we take as a result. There's something there in us that we don't want to experience, and we never do experience because we're so quick to act. The practice of mindfulness and refraining is a way to get in touch with basic groundlessness by noticing how we try to avoid it. I'm working to find comfort and peace where I am today. This doesn't mean that I'm going to stop taking in information or that I'll never switch things up. I think flexibility has been a key part of my recovery. I don't, however, need to chase everything that's put in front of me. When I may be able to slow down and be in my recovery right now, I can find an appreciation for the program I'm working. It gives me a chance to recognize the points that might be causing me some discomfort and allows me to focus on them versus shift my attention to something else. I want to make sure I'm putting my energy into what I have right now before I decide to spread it so thin that nothing is getting the attention it deserves. A question I regularly ask myself is, What am I doing with the time I have right now? At the end of my life, is what I'm prioritizing today going to matter? I want to encourage you to stay curious as you continue down this path of discovery. This isn't about closing ourselves off to any new idea. We have access to more resources in recovery now than we ever have. The idea is to act with intention, not simply chasing the next new thing, and to show ourselves grace along the way. Before we hear from Nick, let's have a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp.
2: Life can be overwhelming, and no matter who we are, problems are guaranteed to arise. For me, sometimes when new problems come up, I feel a bit paralyzed. It's important to assess situations and to talk to people I trust when it comes to finding solutions. I've gone from thinking I have to figure it out all on my own to asking for help when it comes to problem-solving mode. There's no better feeling than finding solutions and gaining confidence through problem solving. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. Therapy has always been important to me because I need someone who can catch my blind spots and be clear with me. Someone who can see things that perhaps I'm not catching, and someone that can give me professional feedback without me feeling hurt or judged. We take such good care of our bodies, the mind should be no different. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapist anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. com slash elevator.
0: Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Nick. Nick, how the heck are you? I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to see you, brother.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm glad we got to do this today.
0: Uh, Recovery Elevator, if you're a longtime listener, you may recognize uh, Nick. He was on episode 220. When was that? That was about 100 years ago.
1: Uh, it feels about a hundred years ago. Yeah.
0: A hundred and eighty episodes ago. So uh, welcome. I'm glad Thank to see you. Glad, glad to have you back on. Uh, Nick, can you give listeners uh, an idea of how long you've been sober?
1: Uh, yes, I can. <laughs> we literally just looked at this and I've already forgotten, but my sobriety date is December 8th, 2018. Um, so that means I'm coming up on four
0: years this year.
1: Is that right? Is my yep. math
0: right? One, two, three. Yep, that checks out. Four years.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, coming up on on four years.
0: With my uh, trusty dusty calculator, you had a hundred and eleven days on your first RE interview, and now you're at like thirteen eighty-five. So, yeah. I'm gonna guess that some stuff has changed, and we'll we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Nick, where you're from, what you do for a living, age, married, things like that, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Nick. I live in Vancouver, Canada. I'm 36 years old. Uh, I work at a university in a career center. I am married to my wonderful partner, Laura, and I, what I like to do for fun, mostly gardening. Yeah, spending time in the garden. Plants don't generally talk back. So that's where I spend
0: a lot of <laughs> my time. <laughs> I don't want to hear any crap out of you guys.
1: Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they do, but
0: <laughs> all right, Nick, let's get into it. Let's talk about your relationship with alcohol. Let's let's start at the beginning and, and walk through this story a little bit. And and again, you've you've shared since you've shared on the podcast, we'll we'll talk a bit about this and then uh, I think where we'll probably focus a lot of our conversation on is the last uh, four-ish years. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, if you want to give us a a little bit of the rundown on your relationship with booze.
1: Yeah. So I think, I mean, like a lot of people, I grew up in a house where there was alcohol around. You know, my parents were maybe not always daily drinkers, but pretty close to, but I would say normal amounts of alcohol. But it was very normalized in my house that alcohol was something like you had with dinner. And so, you know, I would have a beer here and there from like, I don't know, age 12 and 13 onwards and and then, but like a few times a year, really, (laughs) like not like I'd have a beer with dinner when I was 13, but like, (laughs) I think it was still a time where like if somebody was like 12 had like a sip of beer, nobody would really think too much of it. But it certainly tasted alcohol like enough times as a maybe not quite a child, but as like as a young adult. An adolescence, An adolescent, um, becoming a teenager. And then of course, like as I became a teenager, there's you know, where I lived, there was still a, a culture of drinking and and just sort of partying as as teens. And I wasn't really like into any sort of party culture or anything like that, but I definitely remember. You know, going through really tough depression when I was sixteen and and into when I was seventeen and entering into high school and just really feeling out of place and a lot of anxiety, not sure what I was supposed to do, very unsure of um, and as you know, as you're a young person figuring out how the world works, you're also trying to figure out your place in it. and i and I really had no idea. Everybody else seemed to have all these dreams and passions and ambitions and I was an incredibly mediocre student I sort of a, I attended the classes I needed to and I did the work I needed to to sort of scrape by but like I had no aspirations beyond that or I or I just didn't know what the aspirations were and so alcohol from a pretty early age was that release that felt like it was taking the anxiety away it was doing all the things that you know all the guests that come on the show talk about of of that that sort of warm hug or that feeling of belonging and that that's the social lubricant and all of a sudden feeling i was a really shy person and alcohol just i felt like i could access a different part of myself and at the time that felt really exciting and liberating yeah. I, obviously <clears throat> that didn't last
0: <laughs> i think there is just like a built-in level of anxiety that comes with with youth and yeah. I mean, some of us are some of us are a little more prone to it not to yeah I don't, I don't want to like diminish it <laughs> no, yeah. some, no, no, of, no. some of us get a little extra dose yeah. but yeah. I th- I think part of it is just I, I mean that's part of like coming of age and all of those things that you just said like figuring out who we are and if if our circumstance or just the, the way life is for us is hasn't necessarily made that a clear path it's it does serve as that kind of that release.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and and like, and I think to some degree, that's, that's normal, right? Like young people are, and you know, you're negotiating and figuring out your place in the world. I think it's normal to experiment with things like alcohol. And obviously there's lots of dangers with yeah. that as well. But yeah, I, I know now that it's normal, but at the time you just feel like this kind of freak or this monster that just doesn't, fit in anywhere mm-hmm. um and of course you realize later like that's most people but you know it's it's really easy uh to to feel isolated and and like you're you are somehow different
0: yeah i don't think our culture is one where I, I, things are changing
2: but mm-hmm.
0: not necessarily everybody is like hey i'm going through this like everybody is together suffering alone
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, I'm encouraged by, like, some of the conversations that have opened up, but it it still does feel like just culturally, uh, especially in in the West, people are very isolated and very lonely still, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I was of a generation where, like, smartphones were just starting to become popular and, you know, a generation of people spending way more time on the Internet and in front of a screen than even a few years before. When I was a young person, so I think that's also part of it. But I mean, <laughs> if we're if we're really cutting to the bone, like I think there was whatever external things were going on. Just internally, I was a very shy, insecure person, and alcohol felt like it it opened up a, a different part of me that, again, at the time, like felt really exciting, and it felt like, oh, maybe I can be a confident person, or maybe I can be somebody that's charismatic and not just always super awkward yeah it's like where at you feel like i'm charismatic i don't know that that was what was actually coming out but <laughs> internally it felt like that
0: dude i feel that it was like uh like a gateway to to who i always wanted to be yeah like yeah. i i could have the conversations that normally would have terrified me or i could tell the joke or i could be that that kind of loud boisterous funny guy at a party where without fuck that like i'm just gonna sit in the corner by myself because if somebody looks at me they might think i'm stupid or fat or weird or yeah but yeah booze it made that care go away yeah
1: yeah exactly it just i stopped caring what other people thought about me as much and and that felt really good for a time and like i think through you know it's not like i didn't have brushes with drinking too much or like Bad hangovers when I was a teenager. But I looking back and really try to do an honest assessment of like where did it begin? And I think there was definitely like some connections being formed in my brain between like alcohol and good times that Mm -hmm. certainly set up, laid the foundation for bad things to come. But at the time, it didn't feel like I wasn't a a binge drinker. I wasn't like drinking to the point of blackout or things like that. I, I felt in control. I felt very aware of other people who would drink too much and had that inner sense of responsibility of like, well, that's not going to be me and, and all of that. I feel like it was really once I moved to Vancouver and I was in university and, you know, away from kind of everything I'd known and building a new life, alcohol became a real, like a real source of comfort to lean on. And I'd, I definitely had had times before that where I'd questioned my relationship with alcohol or I even had talked to people about maybe having a problem with it, but it still felt really a lot easier to just kind of put it down um, or take a break from alcohol without really thinking about it. But I feel like for most of us, it is like it's the it's a gray area thing, right? Like it, it's um. It, it builds on itself, right? It's not one singular moment where you're like, Ah, yes, now I have a problem. Yeah, um, it's something that's progressive and and happens kind of slowly over time and and that was certainly the case for me is it just kind of kept escalating. and you know, year after year, I'd end up drinking more and more each day.
0: Let's walk forward to like those college years or or that time at university and beyond and what did some of those what did some of those progressions look like and maybe some of the you know were there consequences along the way be it external or internally
1: Yeah. yeah i think um so i mean one thing that happened is like almost right after i moved away from uh i grew up in vancouver island This will get confusing for folks if your Pacific uh, Northwest geography isn't great. (laughs) I grew up on Vancouver Island and moved to Vancouver, the same name, different places, not too far from each other. A few months after I had moved, my dad had a major stroke, was in the hospital for a really long time, changed his life dramatically, changed all of our lives dramatically. And I felt a a lot of guilt around that because he had actually called me the The morning it happened and it was really early in the morning and so sort of sleepily i just i couldn't really understand what he was saying and i like the details are kind of hazy now because my brain's done a a reasonable job of wiping out the more traumatic parts of all of that but i mean suffice to say i i felt a sense of responsibility that i didn't react as i should have if i had called somebody else like i wasn't in the same city but if i'd known what was going on you know an ambulance could have gotten there faster. He could have had more brain function, all of the what ifs. And I really didn't dwell on it a lot because it just became such an immediate situation of need. But for the next year, every weekend, basically, I'd be going back home and trying to navigate all of that with my family. And, and that just really, like, it just sort of broke my brain. Uh, I just, you don't think things like that happen to you. That You think that's like something that happens to other people. Um, not that you wish it on anyone, but you just, you, until it happens to you, you never envision your life being difficult, but not to that degree. Yeah. And and I'm saying that as like, I'm not the person that experienced the stroke, right? Like everybody, and especially my dad had to, to completely change their lives and, and a lot of things got taken away. And, you know, I like, I just didn't know, it's not that I didn't talk to people about it, but I I just sort of felt like okay, this is the situation, and I just have to respond. But I feel like somewhere along the way, I learned how to compartmentalize and not in super healthy ways. Yeah, and so I could just sort of like put all the walls up, go to the island, deal with the family stuff, and and try to just be there and doing stuff. But the other side of it would be I would come back to Vancouver and college and I would just drink as much as I could and and just look for any opportunity to go drinking with people and sort of live this double life where like back on the island of the family was really heavy and difficult. And then I'd come back and I'd be like, all right, I'm at college. Like, I've got to experience this and, you know, really try my hardest, but also like enjoy myself. And I went to university later in life. So I was like, I didn't get to do this as a 20 year old. So like. The training wheels are off. Let's
0: yeah. do. It. I gotta believe um, that that after those trips home, too, that you're. I mean, that's like I don't. I don't care what age you are. You know, I've I've talked yeah. to enough people who've had similar types of things and like that. That family care. I mean, it it is that like that is a let's call it what it is. That is a traumatic situation, and mm-hmm. like even if you're the, even if you're the family member that's providing the care versus the person that it happened to like that's still that's that's trauma yeah. and it's, you know you're looking at your father and he's yeah i mean he's the same but but also like not the same that's i mean that's yeah, a, no a, that's a shitload to to try to process and i think especially at a at a younger age just you know depending on the person i believe like not even having the words like not even not being able to articulate like how you feel and And if you don't have people around you asking the right questions, you know, you just kind of sit with it. And like you said, you compartmentalize it, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, you know, and like, really, if I'm being honest, like kind of shove it down. It's it's not that I would never talk about it or or never mention it, but I, I, I mean, I wasn't really processing it with anyone and, and, or really asking for any help. It was just sort of like, you know, I just assumed I just had to deal with it and deal with the situation, which is of course true. But as happens to so many of us, when we don't acknowledge like, yes, it is causing harm to us as well, maybe not as much as to the person that had the injury or whatever, but you're still a part of it. And I would certainly never say to someone else, a family member or caregiver of somebody who had a stroke or something like that happen, I would never be like, well, that's not you know, having a negative impact on you, that's for that person. So I don't know why I felt that way towards myself, but that's part of the journey, right?
0: Yeah. We have this, I don't know. I think there's so many of us have this weird thought of like, we just like, I don't don't know what it is. Like if it's just the Western world, I don't know. That's the only place I've ever lived, but Hmm. we, it's like we have to just, we convince ourselves that we just, we have to press on and we have to persevere no matter what. And, uh, we don't give ourselves that opportunity to just sit and, and and grieve or process
1: totally and I and I really had no model for that anyway like I just I didn't have any examples in my life really of what talking openly and and sort of deal, actually dealing with things really looked like and and for me the dealing with it was drinking because it's the only thing that it that felt like it could kind of draw a line between the bad part and the not so bad parts but of course then the correlation in my my brain and in my life was that alcohol is now about erasing pain and Mm -hmm. you know trying to enjoy the good times but again even that like I, i feel like it was sort of one of those like it would go and progress in sort of jumps you know it would be go from having a couple of like tall boys every night to I'd get a bottle of wine and maybe drink a beer as well. And then a year later, it would be like, now I'm drinking two bottles of wine a night and maybe not every night, but like starting to get close to. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, it just sort of slowly at first and then much, much faster. Just it very quickly felt like it just consumed me and then I, I, it wasn't very long after like those initial events where I really started to feel like I wasn't in much control anymore. Like what little control I had, I really had to work and fight for, but I was completely reorganizing my life around drinking.
0: When you started to recognize this loss in control, like where were you in terms of like your relationship was, were you with Laura by this point or were you still
1: Um, no. So I think so. Laura and I met um, a couple of a few years before I got sober. And I think pretty early on, i had said something to her probably while I was drunk that I thought I had a drinking problem. And I mean, it's so embarrassing to talk about. But like, I know lots of us have this experience where you, you get drunk and then you pour your heart out. And it's not that it's untrue, but it's like it's still coming through a very drunk lens. And that's like the only time you can open up and be honest. And so then again, it became like, oh, well, the only time I can really open up and really share what I'm feeling is when I just get so drunk, I can't keep all the guards up anymore, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting sort of like in a way I know I wouldn't be where I am today without that. But also it's not exactly a life path I would recommend towards enlightenment, (laughs) you know, like if you can skip having to, you know, have a a serious drinking problem to reach spiritual enlightenment, (laughs) probably choose that path. But if you're already on it, there's, there's hope.
0: That's a weird vulnerability point that you get so (laughs) obliterated that you just, I, I was looking a couple weeks ago, I was looking for a video and I haven't found it. I'm sure I probably, probably deleted it, but. After my brother had passed, my wife was concerned about my drinking and I went, I I don't know what was the prompt for this, but I recorded myself in my camper, like giving some testimony while I was drunker than hell about how I'm going to change my life and I need to start drinking or I need to stop drinking, but I was just absolutely fucked up doing this. And it was like, this its like a really, like it was, it was like a really sad thing. Yeah, that I was you know like what part of it is in like really dark humor somewhat hilarious this like why was I drunk in my camper recording this video of like setting up dramatic lighting like yeah like at the time time you're like
1: you're you were convinced that that was the thing that you needed to do and it was really going to change things yeah that's and plus like cinematically it was like a Scorsese (laughs) moment for me
0: yeah yeah (laughs) But also like if I can like not make fun of myself in that moment, like it's just like there's I think there gets to be there's a ton of pain that 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 causes a person to have those conversations. Like you really like you can see it. Yeah. And yeah. It, and it's not that it doesn't mean anything, but also like
1: while we're drunk. Yeah. And and for me, like the alcohol like using alcohol with, to deal with like any life situation for me you know it's like putting paper over leaks in a boat like it just you're not fooling anyone like the pain is right there on the surface but and now I can see that but at at the time it felt like nobody could know that that pain or nobody could understand it and you know and I had tons of moments where in a drunken haze or a hungover days I would be like I gotta change my life like this can't keep happening and like maybe I do have a problem, like what would be my first clue? But all of those like real feelings and moments of conviction that in the moment felt very true and real, there was always a ton of alcohol in my system. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, I guess you could look at it either way of like, there was a certain amount of the alcohol that was clouding everything, but also some part of me that was trying to break through that, like the pain, even with all... All of the alcohol and like they don't give out awards for who drank the most and I think a lot of us would be arguing well into the night about who would deserve it but like I did my level best just drinking insane amounts and and it just started to work less and less and less and it was just more and more pain and the time between the like drinking euphoria the buzz and me just being like a balling mess and feeling awful about myself and my life and my life situation that time just kept getting shorter and shorter and there would just be less and less of the good times and more and more of the like oh here we go to the dark place (laughs) like yeah Yeah, i think at the the
0: end of my drinking as well it it becomes less exactly what you said less about like the good times and it's more like almost clinical like yeah we're sober we can't we can't deal, or we don't feel equipped to deal with what, like whatever it is. Maybe it's maybe whatever it is is just that it's Tuesday, and it's too much for us, and we we pick up.
1: Yeah. Well, and when you said like you asked about like consequences, I th- I think I like my story is is one of where I professionally continued to to move up in the world, and and certainly like alcohol held me back in a lot of ways, but there was still enough outward signs of like success and I was still able to like keep it together enough that you know Monday to Friday, nine to five, I was a functioning human being. But <laughs> you know, maybe uh some would challenge the word functioning. Yeah. Like what does it mean to be functioning? Like showing up but being a jerk to people or or being constantly just tired and slow and hung over. Like that's not success either, you know, just, but for me at the time I was rationalizing it because I could be like, well, it's not like I'm drinking all day long or anything like that, but you know, that, that bar just gets lower and lower and lower for what's acceptable behavior. And, and like, I knew it, right. Some part of me knew that I was just making excuses, but it just, it felt so scary and so daunting to try to change that and I just got stuck in this habit and rhythm of kind of doing the same thing every day and I'd leave work all tired and stressed out and I'd walk past the liquor store and I'd buy a bottle of wine and two hours later I'd be back or maybe I'd go to a different place to mix it up so people didn't think I had a problem and let's trick them do the triangle of booze stores around my house so that yeah really yeah. cool them not like they didn't see me every day at every location anyway but like to keep them guessing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> and then I just enough. go home and drink and be sad and watch YouTube by myself. And and then I'd end up like looking for sad things to like make myself cry because I just felt so shitty about myself and everything that I just, it, yeah, it became this weird, like, is this therapy? Like, what am I trying to do here <laughs> by making myself upset? But I just, everything became very twisted in, inside of me, all these traumatic moments and, and and stuff that had happened um i lost my cousin quite suddenly uh, about a, i think about a year after my dad's stroke like there was just life continues to happen to you right and I, and i from an early enough age the only coping mechanism i seemed to have was drinking about it and it's like each knock i just i was like well bottle of wine worked for the first problem so i guess i need two bottles of wine now. yeah but it still felt like I mean, not that I didn't start arguments and, you know, get myself into trouble that I didn't need to be in, but most of the impacts were just internally. I felt terrible and I hated myself and I hated my life, but outwardly, you know, I could still kind of fake it as a a functioning human in the world.
0: Yeah. I think that keeps a lot of us going for a long time. We have these, these benchmarks that we, that we're, that we're meeting, like quote unquote meeting, we're we're still have a level of functionality, and that that cliche under a bridge, brown paper bag, hasn't happened to us, so there's no way that we could have a problem, and we just keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's like that is a shit, that is a absolute shit benchmark for when we need to, or like when the option exists to evaluate yeah. our drinking, and uh, I believe. Uh, I'll credit Trisha Lewis with recovery happy hour with this. Like if you're, if you're not happy with your relationship with alcohol, that's when you can look at it. Yeah. Like, we, like you don't have to hit X, Y, or Z. Like if it's whatever it is, if it's causing you anxiety, if you, even if like, it's just a hangover and you're like, ah, I don't think that I want to feel hungover anymore. Like that's okay. Like you don't have to, you don't have to hit any movie yeah. cliche. If it wouldn't, if, if you're unhappy like go ahead take a look at it like it's okay you, ha- you have permission
1: um and i think there's a weird thing where like again i mean i don't know what the if there is a larger reason for it but there's sort of like being unhappy is like an acceptable way to be in the world and lots of people are and just kind of miserable about everything and i think i thought i was fighting against that because like i was big into to music and, and rock and roll and so i, I was i loved the Keith Richards sort of rock star stereotype of just like throw caution to the wind and you're just sort of stumbling through life and you know whatever it's all <laughs> bullshit anyway man nobody gets me so I'm just living my truth and just hanging out and listening to music but like you know it became less and less about actually listening or playing music or doing anything with that and then you're just drunk and sad like <laughs> you know yeah I had the stumbling part and the the slurring of my words, like Keith Richards, but it's not like I was sitting there working on the guitar riffs or recording yeah. anything or in any way expressing something creatively. It was just this image that I, I felt like I could latch myself onto. And again, that an image of somebody who is much more confident than I actually was. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a persona I could put on. And so long as the alcohol kept flowing, you know that that persona felt good or at least like a way i could be in the world
0: let's uh i want to make sure that we give the recovery side of your story it's due time so yeah yeah let's if you want to quick just give us maybe over a couple minutes like what that what that leap into into the recovery space look like for you and then that initial recovery and then let's let's with it, with the end of our time, let's, let's talk about what the last, uh, you know, nearly four years has been.
1: Sure. Yeah. So like I, I found recovery through drinking, like, you know, through the late night drinking fests, watching YouTube, It it's funny how your brain will draw you towards certain things, or maybe I shouldn't be taking credit for it. Maybe this is where the, the higher power and, and something else taking over comes in. Uh, maybe it's a bit of both, but I would find myself gravitating towards finding people talking about drinking and and being alcoholics or being addicts. And I remember watching a Craig Ferguson monologue from when he was on late night TV and him talking about his journey. And he talked about wanting to kill himself and then forgetting because he he was like, well, before I go jump off a bridge, I'm going to go to the bar and have one last drink. And long story short, he ended up just drinking all night with his friends, and he forgot to kill himself. And that, for me, was like a a moment that it was an epiphany I had to keep coming back to because I'd only have it when I was drinking. But I couldn't get that out of my head because that's how I felt. I felt like alcohol was the only thing keeping me going. And that terrified me. And so that sort of started this long journey of slowly, very, very slowly being like, all right, this isn't good. So I started going to see a therapist. I talked about not wanting to drink anymore. I think I had a lot of personal stuff, obviously, to work out, so I I began to process some of that and began to question my relationship with alcohol. That really didn't stop or even alleviate my drinking. If anything, it ramped up because stuff was getting real and I actually had to face the truth, so i just go to therapy and then as soon as I left, go buy a bottle of wine. But it did start, right? Like the ideas, the, the seeds were planted there. And then I don't remember exactly how I found this podcast, Recovery Elevator. I I, kind of, I think I probably listened to like little 10 minute sections here and there again. It would just get too real too quickly. And I'd be like, that's enough of that. It's probably not me. This is making my skin crawl because it, not because i identify with the story, but just because. And then yeah, hearing hearing stories of of people that like once I I sort of pushed through that and, and listened to full episodes um and in particular Angie Sue who we both know yeah. um her episode was I just felt like her story just I was like yeah, I mean we're very different people who have different experiences and and different lives but like the internal feelings I felt like somebody just spoke out everything that I've been feeling. And that really felt like a moment of no return for me where I was like, I can't ignore that. That this sense of like, oh, I'm not, it's maybe not just me and it's maybe not all my fault. And there's other people who have done this. Like maybe there's hope for me. Maybe I should explore this. And and again, like this took years and I've got journal entries and all the resets of my counter on my (laughs) sobriety tracker to prove it that like, years and years of day ones and promises and trying different things but i just that was i think that well that was the fall of 2018 when i listened to that episode and really started to be like all right something's got to shift here Mm -hmm. um and then i joined cafe re just sort of on like a it's december i'm gonna try to be sober for all of december um, yeah, my sobriety date is December eight because all for the first seven days of December, I beefed it right out of the out of the gate and just kept drinking. But joining that community, hearing people share their stories, just hearing and seeing the generosity with which people talked about really, really personal things, but offering it up as a way to help other people understand that they're not alone. Yeah. Um, you were a huge part of that as well, and and just having like. Having those examples that I talked about, like I needed to see people living a life that I could live um, and something that I actually looked forward to because I just didn't have the template for it. All I knew was drinking to deal with my problems and all my heroes were people who drank. So hearing about actual living, breathing people who had gone through the same thing as me, gotten their shit together or were in the process of it, even, even just wanting to do it, really felt like a huge like that that hole that I was filling with alcohol started to feel like, oh, like I can maybe plug this with something else and starting to absorb messages about like connecting to people and and building community and then doing that and being like, this is the feeling I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> like this, this was the warm hug I was looking for. And this lasts, you know, and and so that really felt like I finally had the replacement for alcohol that I could have the courage to just go, I I have to throw in the towel here. And I mean, sort of courage and also just like I wore myself out. I just couldn't keep going. I I just, I hit the wall with alcohol, man. I think I drank it all. I think everybody gets a lifetime quota and not everybody's is the same, but I think I hit mine and my body was revolting on me. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. But again, all these little glimmers of hope and hearing people's stories were really what started to make me feel like th- this is something I could do. Like this yeah. is possible.
0: There's, there's something special about finding a place. And, you know, for you and I, this is not a Cafe re promo, but it could be. Cue the music. Uh, no, <laughs> there's, it's, it's, I think it's community. And f- yeah, for you and I, like, that's the community that we found but there but there's others out there so just full disclaimer this is like totally yeah find you and they, and they a local they all support have group
1: great flavors to them like i and I'm the first person to say like just try stuff and not all of it will stick and that's okay like it's yeah. not a failure of you and and it also doesn't mean you don't have a problem if like <laughs> the first community you try isn't the right fit like that's that's just part of figuring it out too yeah
0: What I, what I love about the community, any community that, that you can find that works is that there's something so beautiful about doing this with, with other people and like finding that space where people, you know, you said this, where you can watch people, people are modeling it for you and, and you can come with like just where you're at and find Mm it, find a level of acceptance that you just, at least for me that I had never seen anywhere else. And there's account, there's acceptance of who you are and like what you've done and what you've been through, but there's also like accountability that that follows that. Like, all right, like let's, what are we gonna do here? Like, what do, what are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Get your shit
1: together, man. Yeah, are you um, gonna show but- up every time and say the same thing, or, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But with but with love and compassion, and then before you know it, like you've got something to offer. And the, you know, it's, what's crazy is there's people who come in and, and you can pour into their lives and, 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 and help them. And it's not, you know, there's no hierarchy. I was just at a meeting earlier today and there was a guy who was fresh out of rehab. He had 30 something days and his share was something that, that I hadn't heard. And it, I was like, I, I like, it had a positive impact on me and and yeah. I've got five years. So like it doesn't fucking matter where you are like we can all positively influence one another and uh, absolutely yeah
1: i mean and i remember like when i i started when i started out i and had like a week or two you know i i definitely looked at people with who had more time it's just like the wizards on the mountain guarding all the secrets and and just (laughs) it felt so like distant but yeah, I totally agree. Some some of the stuff that I, I hear or read now that's the most helpful is people who are on day one, and and the things that they're sharing and the the insights that they're having. That's a very real and honest place to be. You know the. There, not that there's a lot of downsides to like long-term sobriety but the more distance you get from alcohol sometimes the you know the, the those connections in your brain with just how far you've come or how much things have changed it, it's sometimes hard to keep perspective on that but mm-hmm. that's that's why I, I try to to where I can st- like every day try to engage with something because it's those stories of of other people even if it's just like, I had a really crappy day today and I'm going home to bed to sleep it off, like, but I'm not going to drink with you today. Like yeah. th- that that kind of stuff helps. And, and it's really easy to overlook and think like, how could that possibly help? But see, seeing stories and, and hearing that and, and just like you say, knowing that you're not alone in it, the amount of time or the particular life experiences kind of matter less, you know, like it, it's just nice to relate to other humans who are acknowledging yeah. it's hard. It's difficult work being a human being.
0: Yeah. But it's, uh, there's, uh, it's. I think it's a beautiful thing when people, when people show up, with <laughs> when, when people show up and it's just, that's something I couldn't do. Something I couldn't do an act of addiction. It was just, it was all self-preservation no. and, and, and that meant protecting myself which meant not letting anybody in. And yeah. I was just always affirming like my worst fear that I'm alone. And I, and I was because yep. I, I didn't ever give anybody a shot and
1: can't get hurt. If you don't let anyone in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And now it's, it's just different. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got, let's do, yeah, we've got to get to rapid fire, but let's do one more, one more quick question before we go to the rapid fire. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, you do have some time and that is with that comes experience. And, and I just want to know today when you find yourself met with, uh, with a hard time, whether it's, whether it's a, a tough day at work or, uh, uh, some sort of trauma, you know, like over, over your time in recovery, you've undoubtedly been through some things. What does that look couple, like? Yeah. yeah what what does that look like now or or what is a version of that because I don't think it has to be the same every time but what are what are some things that you that you do now to get through to get through life where mm-hmm. before you were reaching for something
1: yeah recently I've kind of come back to this and and this is something that um well I'm in the the cafeari group still um and I part of the reason why've I've stayed in that is because people are there's always new people coming in and you're always getting fresh perspectives and again those early perspectives in sobriety i find really really helpful because like they're there's just it's all honesty right like it, it's people just cracking open the doors of that thing and really right now it's just keep it simple stupid like i I can overthink things all day long and make still make all kinds of promises. Like I'm going to go to a meeting every single week and I'm going to do this. And this is going to be a part of my routine. And then I fail at that. And I don't feel good about myself. I'm still working on that, that part of the journey. But one of the things I try to do is like at the very least, before I leave the door in the morning and experience the world or talk to anyone is I sit down and I read something from somebody in recovery Uh, For me, that's often just people's posts, either from like the night before or that morning. And sometimes that's all I do. Just read where people are at, but just try to engage with every single day. The fact that I am in recovery, because even leaving it for a few days or a a week, like my brain starts to rattle the cage and, and go in different directions and start to try to convince me that maybe I'm over it. I've, I've won somehow. I've cleared the, the hurdle and I don't need to think about it. But I know that it's a, a cliche, but just the day one mindset of like, it really doesn't matter how many days I have. Today, I have to not drink. I could ruin everything. Well, slip ups happen, but you know, like <laughs> I could, I could light a lot of stuff on fire today. Mm-hmm. That's a choice I could make. But what i'm trying to do and what i find the most helpful is all the stuff that helped me in you know that first day first few days first month just going back to that trying to connect with somebody in recovery every single day or as often as i can and that can just be listening like i don't necessarily have to pour my heart out to someone i like that too but just texting someone you know an old pal in recovery you haven't talked to in a while and just being like hey i was thinking of you today what's going on Simple little things like that really help focus my brain back on the fact that, like, underneath it all, I still have the same problem. And if I'm not doing the things that I need to do to keep me sober, that problem is going to become a bigger, is going to run my life again. So, I mean... I've definitely learned there's very little that I can control something about the last couple of years has really instilled that uh, (laughs) life lesson in me there's not a lot I can control yeah but there are a few things right like I can control what I put into my face and I can control the people I spend time with I can control um, the types of images and text and audio and stuff I'm consuming like what am I putting into my body and brain Um, and it doesn't have to all be like incredibly recovery related, but, um, or of one particular program or anything like that. But, you know, it's probably good to engage with that each day. Um, I've been fairly consistently meeting with my sponsor just about every week, you know, with like, sometimes we go a month and we don't talk, but about a year into sobriety, I really felt like adding some structure and adding some more routine would help. And that's been true. The group of sponsees that's kind of grown out of that sponsorship and sponsees and sponsors and that, that like really cool, like network of people that existed before me being tapped into that is really helpful. And like, and I'm not just blowing smoke here, but like talking to you, man, like you are a huge piece of my recovery and also a friend yeah. <laughs> this isn't just for all all for me but like no, I just me I more. definitely <laughs> feel the benefits of it and and thinking you know last night about coming back on the show again I was like do I have any what what new can I say Or <laughs> what else can I offer but I just can't ever emphasize the the friendships enough like for yeah. people that feel lonely and lost in the world there's just something about you know meeting you and, and talking to you and developing our friendship that just feels good man like yeah you know. <laughs> again don't... it's it's that thing of like this is what I was missing right is it doesn't have to be complicated I mean you and I are not having the most high-minded conversations all the time sometimes we are but just that connection just knowing that like if I'm having a rough day and I see a message from you or you know or I, I have the inclination to reach out to you again. It's just, it's reminding me there's more than just me in this world, right? Like there's other people who are going to get this and we don't even have to give each other advice over it, but just knowing that there's somebody I can say like, look, this is what's on my mind. This is what's weighing on me. And being able to just let go of that has been by far the most helpful thing for me in sobriety.
0: Yeah. You know, and what, pops in my head like as I as I listen to your like the list of things that you could do there's you know I've heard people I've heard other people in the recovery world be like do I have to do this for the rest of my life do I like do I have to but like the things that you're saying like they're all you know connecting with a friend and you know like you said when like when you and I connect I don't I don't know I don't know what percentage of our conversations are recovery based it's not huge, though. No, no, it's not. <laughs> but it's just, you know, like that foundation is there. So yeah. if you or I are going through through something, like that door is always open. So yeah. so we both know that, like, hey, if the shit hits the fan, this other person is there. Yeah. And en- engaging with other people in their journey is it's like that's not so bad because you get to hear people's stories of hope. And you get to hear their victories and the positive things that they're, that they're going through. Or if somebody is having a tough day, it's an opportunity to just pour into their life. Maybe it, maybe it's not advice because that advice isn't always the best thing to give, but maybe it's just a little bit of love, showing someone the love that was shown to you. It's like these things, If like if those, if that's what I have to do the rest of my life to, to not piss my pants in a blackout. <laughs> Like, okay,
1: worse, there's worse ways to spend your time. And I've tried a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing, and just knowing like recovery spaces, whatever they are, whatever their affiliation somewhere in the world, in just about any city town, there's a room full of people who are going to accept you as you are and, and at least listen to you. And probably there's going to be at least one person who is going to, without any questions, just accept you, tell you, they love you and mean it. Yeah. That does not exist in many places in the world. Total unconditional love. I I think I probably knew it, but it definitely was affirmed when I went to my first meetings and joined my first recovery spaces. I was like, "This is where all the sensitive people end up." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've met and talked to and i am friends with a lot of people, including myself. Have done a lot of messed up things and hurt a lot of people, but the difference is people who who want to make a change and who commit to that to to try to do better i mean the salt of the earth people are all in recovery like if if you don't have faith in humanity (laughs) recovery spaces will restore it pretty quickly and and again if it's if you're trying something and it's not fitting you know maybe you just need to try a different space and find the right people but overwhelmingly i just find people in recovery are just so open and loving it's like yeah, this is not a life sentence, you know. And if it is, I'm like, I'm here for it.
0: All right, we are at the rapid fire round. Nick, in thirty to sixty seconds. Are you ready? Yes. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking?
1: I think my biggest fear was the unknown. I, I built my whole life around alcohol, and I, I just, can't, I didn't know what, I didn't know who I was, or, or how to live a life without it, and that. That terrified me and kept me drinking for a really long time it's just the the unknown what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol <laughs> i think like just about everything actually enjoying my life that there's a there's a ton but like as we've talked about it's it's people it's the relationships like i knew i'd have to open up and i knew I would need accountability but i really saw that as the main thing i didn't really think about friendships and and that deep connection that i would get (laughs) which is like a really great bonus when you're not expecting it to be like oh i've got lifelong friends on top of you know (laughs) not blacking out and not wasting all my money on drinking and feeling horrible about myself like that's a a pretty good upside to things you know
0: your dope side effect Uh, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink
1: this is going to cause a lot of controversy, um, but I've kind of moved away from the carbonated water. And as boring as this sounds, uh, just water. I love cold water. I know that's this a, is a Perrier that's, bottle, all
0: the, that's all the time we have.
1: <laughs> cold tap water. We'll never have another Canadian on this show. All right. uh, just water for me, thanks.
0: No bubbles, bud. No what is your favorite resource in recovery, whether it's a book, an app, a website?
1: I think it is the stories of people who are new to recovery. Right now, that that really feels like that's where I'm getting a lot of my, my wisdom from and my strength from, again, there's just a, a clear eyedness to, to somebody that's just beginning that journey, even if they're stumbling, even if it's a, a post or a, a story or something of their millionth day one. Um that that to me always has a, a ton of power because that beginning part, that's a, an incredible thing that people can do that people can make a decision, call out for help, have the help arrive. you know, and I know it's not always perfect and clean like that, but I see that I've felt that I see it work a lot. It's it, it doesn't get old and it, it never it never gets old to me. And last, but
0: certainly not least, Nick. Can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze at flying.
1: Oh, I knew that this was coming and I still struggle to come up with one, but I feel like if you found this podcast and you've made it this far, you might need to ditch the booze. At the very least, you probably know somebody that does. Yeah. But if you're here with us right now, trust trust that feeling and, and keep leaning into it and keep exploring.
0: We're here for you. Yeah. That's a good one. All right, my brother. I love you. I love you too, man. I appreciate you. And thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to do this today.
0: I love it. All right, dude. Recovery elevator. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Nick, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. As we close out episode 400, I think it's appropriate that I take a minute and say thanks to Paul. Honestly, I thought he might try to snag this intro and outro for himself. Rightfully so. 400 is a huge deal. So Paul, as a listener of the podcast, as a member of Cafe RE, and as a person in recovery, thank you for what you've created here. Your vision and your heart are evident in the work you do. Thank you for your leadership and for continuing to provide a space for people to share their stories and to heal together. When we touch someone's life, it can have a ripple effect. Speaking as just one guy who started listening to RE on my way back and forth to rehab, This podcast and Cafe RE have had a huge impact, not just on my life, but for my wife, my kids, my friends, and even my coworkers. The healing I've done in this space has helped me to live in alignment with my values and blessed me the opportunity to help others to do the same. And I'm just one guy out of the thousands of people this podcast has touched. Congrats on 400 episodes, Paul, and thank you to the team, past and present, that have kept this thing going over the years. Listeners, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. I love you guys.